at this time our children through ages uh, pre-k through grade four are dismissed to children's church This morning, our scripture reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to Jesus, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what his parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. As for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you, John. So, as I was preparing today's message, I thought of a story that tells on my grandpa Lewis, and I did not know my mom's sister would be here today. (laughs) So I'm going to tell it anyway, and I'll get scolded later, Uh, but that's okay. So as I was reading this week, uh, I came across a a commentary uh, by Thabiti Anya Weble. Uh, and his commentary on Luke, he's telling this story about how his parents used to bicker back and forth about the fact that his dad couldn't hear. And that made me think about my grandpa Lewis, who for most of my life wore a hearing aid and could not hear. And we would be sitting around and having a conversation, and my dad loved to tell the story. So this is just as much on my dad as it is my, my grandfather. And, and both of them have passed, so I believe we're We're beyond the statute of limitations for this story. So anyway, the way it goes is um, my grandpa would just, you know, you'd say, hey, dad tried to get his attention. He wouldn't hear him, wouldn't hear him. And then, or maybe we'd be telling a story and we'd be talking around and grandpa would be totally clueless as to what was going on. And then we would get to something that mattered to him. And my, my dad would talk about how all of a sudden grandpa's hearing was magically restored. And he was able to hear whatever went on, and he knew. He'd chime right in, and you're like, oh, I thought you couldn't hear. My dad talked about this as selective hearing, right? Selective hearing. 
Now, I think all of us have selective hearing, not just my grandfather. Even my own dad probably had selective hearing. Now, how, how does that work? What is this selective hearing? So if any of you are parents, you know how this goes? You tell your kids to do something. You tell them five times. You look at them in the eye and say, do this. And then they say, I didn't hear you. Right? Or, or husbands, you know how it is. Your wife says, hey, when you go there, go ahead and grab that thing on your way past and put it away. And so you walk right past, and your wife says, hey. You say, I didn't hear you. I didn't hear you. Now, wives, you're not innocent either. Your husband pays you a compliment, but you're angry. And all of a sudden, you didn't hear them say it, right? We all have this idea of selective hearing, where, where the words go into our ears, but somehow it is not processed. There is no understanding. It is hearing without really hearing. Today we're looking at Jesus' parable of the sower. This is one of the most famous parables uh, that Jesus gives to us. It's a parable about farming and sowing seed. But of course, it's more than that. It's really a parable about selective hearing. It is a parable about hearing, but not really hearing. Jesus says at the conclusion of this parable, he who has ears, let him hear. So parents, I want you to put that phrase into your minds. And when you're about to say something to your children, they know they won't hear, stop and say it really declaratively like it's from the word of God. He who has ears, let him hear. And then give your instructions to your children and maybe they'll understand. Okay, so when Jesus says this, we know two things, right? Virtually everyone who was there had ears. I'm not going to say everyone because you never know, you know, who lost an ear. But, but virtually everyone there had ears. And I'm going to go one further. They were there because they wanted to hear Jesus. So they, they had ears, and they were there because they wanted to hear Jesus. So why on earth would he end his parable with, he who has ears, let him hear? I think it's because he knows that we all have selective hearing. All right, so let's dive into our passage today and see how this selective hearing impacts two groups of people. And we're going to approach this passage this way. We're going to spend 95% of the time talking about one group and 5% of the time talking about the other. So this, this selective hearing impacts two groups of people. The first is it impacts those to whom the gospel is preached. It impacts people who hear the gospel. And second, it affects those of us who have already trusted in the gospel. Now, our passage begins in chapter 8 uh, this way, with, with this sentence at the beginning of verse 4. It says this, And when a cr great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, okay, that's how it starts out. What this is, is this is a change in setting for us. It's, it's a trigger in our, in our mind as we're reading through the book of Luke that Luke is starting a new idea. Now, obviously, as we've talked about over the last several months, that the, the book of Luke is inter, intertwined with itself. It interacts with itself. But what we need to know here is that we are moving past some of the narrative parts of the story, and we're getting into one of Jesus' 
teachings. All right, now, all that means is that we need to switch our glasses from looking at Scripture here, looking at what Jesus does, to looking at what Jesus says. So as we moved through chapter 6, we saw a lot of what Jesus says, and then we got into chapter 7, and we looked at a lot of what Jesus does. And so what did we see in chapter 7? Well, we saw that Jesus healed the centurion's servant without going to their house. We saw that Jesus raised a widow's son from the dead. We know that he did miracles that were used to shore up the faith of John the Baptist. And last week, as we talked about the woman who was in sin, we, we saw that Jesus forgave sin. Not only that, but he kind of called out the not kind of, he definitely called out the self-righteousness of the Pharisee. Now, chapter 8 takes a quick pause from the narrative story of Jesus' ministry to give us some teaching before he jumps right back into the story again. And chapter 9 will mark this change in tone in the book of Luke. It's very subtle. But in chapter 9 and going forward in the book of Luke, we start to see Jesus include his disciples more and more in his ministry. The disciples are kind of in the background for the first eight chapters of Luke, but frankly, uh, and frankly, they're, they're kind of in the background going forward, but from chapter 9 on, we see them put a little more in the foreground. So here in chapter 8, we see this, this transition begin. All right, what we'll see is that Jesus engages a large group of people as he tells this parable, but then he pulls his disciples off to the side and has a secondary interaction focused on his disciples. Now, normally I wouldn't take the time to, to draw all that out of a passage, but as we unpack the parable of the sower, we're going to see that, that Jesus' parable is confusing to his hearers. Jesus takes what is a mystery to the crowd and he makes it known to his disciples. Now, for many of us who grew up in church, we've heard the parable of the sower a million times. And so for us, this is kind of old hat. And so for us, we've heard Jesus explain this parable so many times, we didn't even need to read it to know what it was about. But what I want you to do today is to imagine yourself being in this crowd. I want you to think about how uh, chapter 6, when we went through chapter 6, this teaching, everybody was so blown away. They were impressed by this powerful teaching of Jesus. Then we have all these miracles that come about in chapter 7. Then we get to chapter 8. And in all his brilliance, this is what Jesus says for his next teaching session. Let's start in verse 5. These are the words of Jesus. And I just want you to imagine this in a vacuum. Just this. Nothing else. You're primed to hear another life-changing teaching of Jesus. And he says, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. The birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns. And the thorns grew up and grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What? I mean, stop. Just, just think about that for a second. 
I want to hear this life-changing teacher, Jesus. Let me tell you about farming. But don't worry, he cleared it up for them, right? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Oh, now it makes sense, Jesus. Now I know why you told us about farming. This makes no sense. I mean, could you just imagine, I want to hear a life-changing message from Jesus, and he gives you Agriculture 101. I mean, that's not where you go for your crop planting methods, all right? I, I love this. So, so what does this little sentence mean, okay? It means that some can understand, but it means that some cannot. At minimum, it means some do not. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Just plain and simple, just like that. Some can understand, and some cannot. Now, Jesus begins to unpack this sentence as he moves into verses 9 and 10, and it says this. When his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing, they may not understand. So here, here we begin to see Jesus making his divide. Jesus is saying that there are those who have the secret, and there are those who do not. They may hear the message, but they don't know what it really is means. They may have ears, but they do not hear. Jesus is saying to the disciples, I'm going to be preaching the message of the gospel, of the coming of the kingdom of God, and many people will not get it. They simply won't understand. But you, you are my disciples. You will understand. You know why you will understand? You have me. I'm with you. And through me, you will see the good news of the coming of the kingdom. But in, in a tremendous move of irony, Jesus uses a confusing parable to teach his disciples that through him, they can have understanding. He uses a confusing parable to show his disciples that through him they can have understanding. Do you see this? The disciples have the ability to take Jesus aside and ask him questions. They have the ability to, to learn things from him. And today, we have the Holy Spirit with us as followers of Jesus to illuminate the word of God and to be our helper and our teacher. But on that day, they could do something. I mean, Scripture says it's better to have the Holy Spirit. I think that's because he's everywhere always, all the time. But man, it sure would be nice to be able to sit down over a cup of coffee and say, can you explain that parable to me? Because that made no sense. <laughs> they had him there, and they could say to Jesus, please, Lord, grant me ears to hear and help me understand. 
And that's exactly what they did in verse 9. And Jesus grants them ears to hear as he explains the parable to them. So let's look at the explanation of the parable here in verse 11 through 15. It says this, Now the parable is this, The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in the time of testing, fall away. And for those that fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, he, who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Now, this parable gives us two substances, seed and soil. Seed and soil. The seed is the word of God, and the soil is those who hear the word of God. Now, all you got to do is go back through the passage and look at verse 12, 13, 14, and 15, and you'll see associated with each type of soil is the word hear. Each kind of soil hears the word of God. So the word, of, the word, the seed, is the word of God. It is the secret of the kingdom of heaven. It is the secret of the kingdom of heaven. Now, what's that mean? What's the secret of the kingdom of heaven? Now, we hear that word secret, and we think it's something mysterious, something cloaked. It's not. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the message of the good news of the kingdom of heaven. It is literally what the gospel is written for. It's not a secret. It's on a billboard. Okay? So just because you see the word secret, what Jesus is saying here is, it's going to be revealed to you. I'm revealing it to you. I'm showing you. So the word of God is being revealed. Now our passage shows us four ways people hear the word of God. Now I use the word hear because that's the word that Jesus used. All right, so remember, many will hear, but not understand. Now, every parent, every husband, every wife, everybody who spent any time with any other human being knows that hearing does not equal understanding. Hearing does not equal understanding. So, here are the four ways that people hear the Word of God. Hear. Some here with a hard heart. Some here with an uncommitted heart. Some here with a distracted heart. And some here with a prepared heart. What we need to see is that the Word of God, the seed, is consistent. The soil is inconsistent. The Word of God is a constant. The people who hear are the variable. So why would Jesus teach this lesson here in the book of Luke? Why mention this now? We have this crowd gathered. Who is this parable for? 
is this message for the crowd or is this message for the disciples? So I suppose in one sense, it is for the crowd, okay? It, it functions as a warning to all of us on how we need to guard our hearts as we hear the word of God. But we're going to come back to that in the end for that last 5%. The primary meaning of this text is not for the crowd. The primary meaning is for the disciples. Let me tell you why I think so. If we turn over to chapter 9, I told you that chapter 9 marks a shift in the book of Luke where the disciples begin to be more prominent. Again, they're still in the background. This is really about Jesus. But the disciples become a little more prominent starting in uh, Luke 9. And let's see how this kicks off. It says this, starting in verse 1. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, we're going to break this passage down in a couple weeks when we get to Luke chapter 9. But look at what is happening. Jesus is sending the disciples out to what? To proclaim the kingdom of God. They're going out to spread seed. They're going out to share the word of God. But look what it says in verse 5, wherever they do not receive you, wherever they do not receive you, it doesn't say if, it says wherever. He's telling them they will be rejected because of the message that they are proclaiming. But here's the thing. Jesus preached to crowds and crowds and multitude. And guess what? People heard his words with a hard heart. They heard his words with an uncommitted heart. They heard his words with a distracted heart. And thankfully, some of them heard his words with a prepared heart. You see, as the disciples were sent out, they needed to remember that the word of God is the constant and that the people are the variables. They are to be sowers of the seed. They are to spread the word of God and the message of the gospel rightfully and in truth. They are to scatter that seed. The seed goes to all kinds of people. And lots and lots of people will hear it. But they may not hear it. Today, we are the disciples of Jesus. We have been sent out. We have been entrusted with the word of God. And what we need to remember 
is that if Jesus ran into these, dis, uh, these obstacles, and if the disciples ran into these kinds of obstacles, then why should we expect any different? Did everyone who heard Jesus preach trust in the gospel? Did everyone who heard Jesus believe that he was the Messiah? Did everyone who saw him do miracles believe that he was the Son of God? The answer is no. Did everyone who met Jesus believe that he could forgive them of their sins like he did the sinful woman in just the last passage we read? No. If the word of God is the constant, and if the people didn't always believe the word of God when it came out of the mouth of Jesus, then should we be surprised when people don't trust in Christ when we proclaim the gospel? Of course not. I think that's what Jesus is telling his disciples. He's telling them, they don't all believe me. So don't think they will all believe you. So look at the four ways that people hear the word of God again. And I want us to think about this in terms of our experience. And when we've had the opportunity to tell other people about Jesus, it says this, when we cast the seed, and what's the seed? It's the word of God. It's the gospel. It's the good news of the coming of the kingdom. When we cast the seed, it, some of it falls on the path. These are the ones who hear, but with a hard heart. Jesus says that Satan just scoops it up and nothing happens. Now, I think this is interesting, but in all the four types of soil, and this is just for free, this is the only one where the seed doesn't germinate. It's just scooped right up. It doesn't sprout. Nothing happens. All right? Now, let's not over-spiritualize that fact, but I think it's significant in that it describes wholesale rejection. This is just wholesale rejection. The word is ignored. This person is either totally committed to trust something else, or this person is intentionally oblivious to the word of God. They're just so hard-hearted that nothing sinks in. It just rolls right off. When they hear the message, they're unchanged. This, this person may be a devout believer to another religion, or maybe they just totally embrace their non-belief. They aren't looking for answers, and they don't want to consider any answer that we may have to offer or any answer in general that comes their way. They're just done, closed off. Sometimes, though, as we're casting our seed, we're telling others about the gospel, sometimes that message is interesting. It's really challenging. And they wonder, can I really be forgiven? Can, can I really know God? Does, does the maker of the universe actually love me? Now, these people often hear the word, and they're intoxicated by it. They find it fascinating. They find it engaging. They want to know more. But they can't commit. There's something holding them back. They hear, but with an uncommitted heart. So when things get hard, when the word of God starts to cost them something, they bail. I mean, maybe it's friendship, and they don't want to give up that friendship. Maybe it's a behavior that has brought them great comfort, 
And God says, hey, that behavior is a sin. And to follow me, you've got to let those things go. Maybe it's a connection to family tradition or some kind of heritage. Maybe it's hard for us to think about today, but it says the time of testing. So maybe it's persecution. It could be something low-grade, like costing you uh, favor at work. It could be something more serious, like being in trouble with the law because of your faith. All right, But no matter what the case is, what was once intoxicating and a delight to explore becomes a phase. It's just this thing they went through, just a passing fad that they were caught in for a little bit, but they realized they didn't want to give up what was required to follow Jesus. And so that spark of intoxication withers away. And there's this other group that Jesus mentions that initially likes what they hear. There are those who hear with a distracted heart. Now I think of this group as ones who intend to learn more. They intend to be devoted. They intend to believe. Again, the word sounds good. It just isn't a priority. Following Jesus is something that they will do eventually. But eventually just never comes. There is always something that needs to be handled first. Maybe they just got married and they started a new job and they think, okay, once I'm settled and everything's making sense, then I will dive into this once my new life is established. And, and then that doesn't happen. Or maybe they have a sick parent, and they're just so tired and so busy. They like this word, but they think, all right, once my parent is either better or, or gone, then I'll dive into it. Others feel broke, right? They got no money. They have to work hard all the time. And they say, when money is right, then I will get serious about this. I mean, guys, the list could go on and on, but at the end of the day, no matter how good the word of God sounds... It just gets put on the back burner. It gets pushed to the edges of life and then loses its significance and frankly loses all of its appeal and just kind of gets choked out. Now, I think many of us, as we've spread the, the seed of the good news of the gospel, we've all encountered people like this, right? Some people you talk to and they're like, me. Other people you talk to and you're like, yeah, 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 tell me more. And then they're like, okay, and they, they maybe even they come to church with you. Maybe they come to Bible study with you. They're really excited. But then all of a sudden, as life goes on, this is just something they can't commit to. And they find themselves weeding it out. Still others, right, they, 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 are, they don't have that, uh, that committed heart that's required. They deprioritize it. It gets pushed to the edges, and it gets choked out by the busyness of life. Then there are those who hear and understand by the grace of God. They hear and they understand by the grace of God. God's patience, his love and mercy has prepared the soil so that they could receive the word. And the word takes root and it grows and it produces fruit. This is the one who actually hears and believes and follows Jesus. The word is real. They are committed. They aren't distracted. They hear, they understand, and they believe. And we know these four kinds of soil exist. Yet somehow, 
I think we kind of are hard on ourselves. And we expect everyone to believe the things that Jesus teaches. We know the four kinds of soil exist, yet we take it personally when people do not believe. And yet, what do we hear in our passage today? Some will believe, and some will not. I would like to share some scriptures that should give us some comfort in the reality that many people do not accept the word of God. We have to deal with that, right? So if you look at this, there's four types of soil that are mentioned. Three don't believe, one does. What's that tell us? Most won't. That can be really discouraging. It can be really frustrating. So I want to point you guys to some scriptures that talk about God's work, how he's active, preparing the soil. You guys know how much I love John chapter 6. I quote Peter all the time. John 6 is where Peter says, where can I go? You have the words of eternal life. All right, I love that passage, all right? So the setting of where I want to go here for a second is John 6. Jesus has just given a hard teaching. The crowd was annoyed by Jesus. They were beginning to distance themselves and reject Jesus. And Jesus says this in verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus goes on in verse 61 through 65. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Now look here at verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. Who gives life? The Spirit. The flesh is what? No help. How much help is the flesh? None. Who gives life? The Spirit. The flesh is no help. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Now look here at 65. And he said, This is why I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So Jesus says that no one can come to him unless it is granted by the Father. I want to share another exchange with you guys. It comes from Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 through 17. And I want you to listen to how Jesus uh, encourages Peter. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, so son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. Who revealed it to Peter? The Father did. Did flesh and blood? No. Human wisdom, human arguments will always fail. Who draws? The Spirit. The Father. You can't convince anyone. How do I know this? How do I know this? Because Paul literally addresses this. I mean, like, just read 
1 Corinthians chapter 1 through 3, Paul is talking about this idea exactly. Now, I don't have time to read it all, although we could, and it would be interesting, but I won't do that to you. We're just going to read a couple of chunks from 1 Corinthians. We're going to start in chapter 1, verse 28, and we'll read through chapter 2, verse 5. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the church in Corinth. He says, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. What's his purpose? He doesn't want anyone to boast in human understanding, so he chooses the things that are low. Verse 30, and because of him, because of who? Because of God. You are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And why do we boast in the Lord? We boast in the Lord because it is Him who gives life. All right, let's let's continue on. So literally the next verse, it goes to chapter 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. He wasn't trying to talk them into it. But in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Who's at work, church? It's the spirit so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but where? In the power of God. What makes the grass grow? What makes the seed grow? What makes this plant grow? If only Paul used the analogy of seed growing to bring clarity. Let's look at chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. As Paul continues talking about the message of the gospel, he says, I planted Apollos, another missionary, watered, but God gave the growth. Who gave the growth? So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. In the parable of the sower, what's the story about? It's not about the sower. Who gives the growth? It is God who gives the growth. Who is it that prepares the ground for the growth. It is God. We are not argued into the kingdom of heaven. There are so many of us who put so much pressure on ourselves to convince others to believe. But what we see here is Jesus is taking the pressure off of his disciples before he sends them out. He's saying that seed is going to fall all over the place. Just go and preach the word. And you need to be ready. Some of it is going to hit hard-hearted people. Some of them are going to get really excited for a while, and then you know what's going to happen? They're going to, they're going to peter out. Some, some are, are going to get excited about it, think it's good, and then the busyness of life is going to come along, and they're, they're, just, they're not going to care anymore, and it's just going to slide to the background. But there's some who will believe. And if this is the way that Jesus prepared his disciples to go out and do the ministry, what should that do for us? We should take the pressure off. It's not your job to save anyone. Man, if, if we were an old country church, I'd say, all right, say it with me. It's not my job. You'd say, it's not my job to save anyone. 
to save anyone. Right. It is the power of God, right? We don't live in a country church, so you guys don't have to repeat after me very often. I, I might insist on it occasionally. All right. Now, I just want us to think about that. It's our job to sow the seed. It's his job to make it grow. Amen? Now, I want to end with the 5%, the more practical application for those of us who believe. For those of us who trusted in Christ as our Savior. For those of us who believe this word of God to be true. Let us not be arrogant to think that just because we've put our faith in Jesus Christ, that somehow the pitfalls that are mentioned here are not pitfalls for us. Have you met a believer with a hard heart? I sure have. Have you met a believer who's uncommitted for a season? I have. Have you met a believer who's distracted, caught up in the things of the world? I have. I think at various points in my life, I've been all three. And I got a feeling that for most of us, we can relate. So as much as I believe that this message is truly about, is truly about preparing the disciples for what it is to go out and share the good news of the gospel with others, it is also a warning to us as believers. Where does life come from? It comes from the Spirit. Where does our hope come from? It's hope in the gospel. And so we have to be careful that our hearts do not grow hard. That when the truth of God is presented to us, when we are challenged, when we are encouraged by God's word, we don't say, I got it. I got it. I've heard that one before, right? When we find ourselves being asked to push harder, to, to give more, we, we are not ones that, that believe with an uncommitted heart, but are willing to make the sacrifices that God has called us to. And man, I got to tell you, the enemy's biggest tactic right now in our day and age is distraction. Never take a moment to breathe. Never stop. Stay busy. Fill every second. I, I'm just going to confess some guilt here. Like, y'all, I'm, I'm, I'm this too. Like, I don't even know how to sit still anymore. If I'm standing in line, what is in my hand? My phone is in my hand, making sure my mind is occupied. Man, are we a distracted people. We don't even know how to stand there anymore. Now just think about that one for a minute, right? But he loves us. He has set his affections on us. He has given us the word of God, and he wants us to grow in the word. He wants us to draw near to him. So when we feel hard-hearted, James tells us, draw near to him and he will draw near to us. When we go through hard times and trials, James says, consider it joy when you experience trials of many kinds because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. It draws us closer to God when we draw near to him in the middle of our suffering. So this thing that can be an obstacle to those who don't believe is an opportunity for thus those of us who do believe to draw close to the Lord. We face the same temptation that this suffering can distance us from God. 
but it is also an opportunity for us to draw near to him and he will meet us in our time of weakness. I think for us, we we may wonder as we find ourselves in the faith floundering, when we find ourselves in the faith, a believer in Jesus Christ, yet still struggling with the daily sins of life, we might find ourselves wondering, "Am, am I that withered? Am I that withered plant? Am I the one that's been choked out? Do I really believe? And here's what I want to to tell you guys. Okay? If, If you really believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, that he's the one and only Son of God, that he died in your place and forgave you of your sins, then then the same hand that prepared that soil is the same hand that is protecting you and holding you. Now, he's calling you to grow. He's calling you to repent. He's calling you to turn. But the same hand that prepared that soil is the same hand that's holding you now and ready for you to break free. Listen to what Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 10. He said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now that'll preach. You aren't going to fall out of his hand. You're not going to be snatched out of his hand. It's time to come on back. It's time to say, that's where life is. I do believe. I'm not withered. I'm not choked out. He has me. We've been talking about this in 1 John on Wednesday nights. You should come. Jim's doing a great job leading us through 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. It says he is faithful. He will. He will. He says this in chapter 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. With the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation, that is the atoning sin, the the atoning sacrifice. He died in our place. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. He's called us out of darkness and into light. He has forgiven us our sins. He says, hey, don't live that way anymore. Follow me. I have the words of eternal life. He's our advocate. He died for your sins before you came to faith in Jesus. And he died for all the ones you've committed ever since. You know him. You believe it. And since you know him and you believe, it's time to walk in the ways that he has called you. So if you're here today, it's time for us to respond 
to the message? How, how are we going to respond? If you have been, been stressed or hurt or felt the pressure to convince people to believe, I hope today you are encouraged that it is God who makes the seed grow. If you are here today and you think, I might believe, but my heart is hard, my mind is distracted, and sometimes I feel uncommitted, then I want to tell you, the same hand that saved you is the same one that will restore you. The same Jesus that died for your sins before you came to faith is the same one who died for any sins you've committed after. It's time to trust in what he's done. Our altar's open. It's a chance for us to just lay our needs before the Lord, to pray to him, to get right with him. Maybe you've got something you need to lay down before him today that has absolutely nothing to do with what I preached. I don't know. But this is our time to respond to the Lord. So as we sing these songs, just go ahead and, and uh, lay your burdens down before him. I'll be up here if you need to talk to me, or you guys know what I always say. Find a believer next to you who can talk to you and encourage you in the faith as well.